0: There's no better time to become a member of the DSR Network. Later this month, we'll be announcing a major media partnership to our ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, bringing you even more insight and analysis than ever before. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, an evening newsletter recapping the day's top stories, and more. Best of all, If you become a member in the month of October, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SPOOKY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SPOOKY. Thank you very much for your support. 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothcuff. It's that time of the week where we take a look at big issues and and carry them out to sometimes their darker conclusions. Uh, and to ensure that we do that, of course, I have my uh, wonderful co-host, John Wohlstall, who has just returned from the Middle East. How are you doing, John?
1: Uh, a little tired, but glad to be in the United States,
0: I can tell you that. Uh, I just bet. Uh, still in the Middle East is our guest uh, and my friend and somebody Uh, Who I admire greatly. Kim Gaddis is an award winning journalist, author, and Mideast expert. She's a contributing writer for The Atlantic and a distinguished fellow at the Columbia Institute of Global Politics. How are you doing, Kim?
2: I'm all right, David. Good to see you both.
0: Uh, Very, very good. Very good to see you. It has clearly been a, a momentous and grim and worrisome week in the middle east and, and 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 what i hope we'll be able to look at here is where we think it'll go and i and i and i want us to be bold in terms of considering the ways that it might uh uh the 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 conflict between israel and hamas might actually uh spin out into something greater and that's why Kim, from your perspective in Lebanon, uh, you may be closest to the first place that'll happen uh, with uh, Hezbollah. Uh, Kim is also the author of a great book about the background about uh, the relationship between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which I think also provides some useful perspective on this. How do you how do you see the past week in the context of those bigger issues, Kim?
2: Well, as you said, David, you know, the past week has been, uh, momentous, uh, horrific, sickening. Um, and we really are at a critical, uh, juncture for the region. I find it hard to predict which way this is going to go because we're completely off script. There is most of the time in this region, a rough script that the players follow, uh, even in war, when, you know, Hamas and Israel fought wars over the past few years, four times, in fact, it's violent, um, it causes huge human suffering, displacement amongst the Palestinians, you know, rockets against Israel, there are casualties on both sides. And then there's a return to the status quo, ante and we've seen that with Lebanon as well there have been uh, wars between Hezbollah and um, and Israel the last one was in 2006 and it, it gets very bad for the civilians on both sides usually more on you know the Lebanese side because of you know Israel's you know massive use of force but this time I think we just can't predict exactly how things are going to go because the attack that Hamas launched against Israel and the violent images and the absolute horror we saw coming out from southern Israel means that this is just a new phase. The rules of the game have changed. Hamas changed the rules of the game. And Israel's reaction uh is all now about revenge, about, you know, making sure Hamas never does this again. We've heard Benjamin Netanyahu, but also other Israeli officials talk about eliminating Hez- uh, Hamas. Uh, we hear them now talking about pushing 1 million people from the upper no- northern part of Hamas of, of, um, of Gaza further down into the Gaza Strip. You know, this is stuff we didn't hear before. Uh, Hamas's actions are unheard of before as well. They have gone beyond anything we've seen in the past. And the other elements that are new are also Iran's much bigger role in the region. Even before we start seeing any evidence that they may have been or have not been involved in the planning, they simply have a larger, bigger role in the region than the last time there was a war between um, Hamas and, uh, and, and Israel, or the last time there was a war between Hezbollah and Israel. So this plays into the bigger picture. And then in the background, a bit further away, you have Russia, which again is maybe not directly involved, did not tell Hamas go ahead and do this, but agendas align. And so you have this sort of axis of resistance, as, you know, they like to be called Syria, or as we call them, Syria, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran. Um, and you have Russia kind of in that, in that camp as well, watching how they can disrupt. America's agenda in the Middle East even if for Russia that also means you know watching the suffering in Israel because you know Russia and Tel Aviv have have good relations. Uh so far Hezbollah is following the script when it comes to the violence or or the exchange of fire between Hezbollah and Israel. So far it's been a week long of you know I I hesitate to use the word of teasing uh by Hezbollah of uh, to, to, to israel launching some rockets israel responds. they launch a few more rockets israel responds, and it's been contained like that but any minute that too could go off script because i think the question that we don't have the answer to is what is hamas's end game and what is iran's end game in all of this
0: uh i, I do want to say john before you respond to all of this that I uh, I I am so familiar and and enthusiastic about Kim's book Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the forty-year rivalry that unraveled culture, religion, and the collective memory and collective memory in the Middle East. That I didn't mention the title. I just take it for granted, but I should have mentioned the title. Um, and and I and, I, and I, I I want to mention it because we'll come back to this, um, because that you know this started. In in part, and you
2: still haven't mentioned it. It's Black Wave. <laughs> that's
0: what Oh, I, I thought I just said Black Wave. I th- I I'm not, I sorry. It. Maybe I missed it. Sorry. Um, yeah. No, Black Wave, did John. Did I say Black Wave? I, I think
1: you did, but I would never contradict Kim. She's so smart. Yeah, I she's probably right.
0: Okay. Well, so it, you know, it Black Wave. Okay, Black Wave. Yeah. Um, but in any event, I you know I think these issues um, that are covered in the book. Are the issues that again are at the core of all these discussions? Yeah. Um, you, now, John, you were you were in the Middle East d- recently as as some of this was unfolding and being reacted to, uh, and I'd be interested before you have a question for Kim and what your have what that experience was like.
1: Yeah, um, well, thanks, David, and thanks, Kim, for for doing this. I really am eager to learn your your insights. Um, uh, I was in Dubai. Um, Any My first trip to Dubai, but it's clear that Dubai is a bubble, and I think the bubble is intact. Um, you, know, you wouldn't have known that there was anything different, with the sole exception that my flight back last night and this morning was half-filled with um, conservative Jews, Hasidic Jews, American citizens that had been evacuated from Israel. So when I got to the airport in Dubai and saw that my gate was half-filled with Jews, you know that something's different. Like, Dubai was not on their original um, itinerary. Um, and it's because there, there are a lot of families that are trying to get out just as there are a lot of families trying to get in. So the uh, Emirates told me that all the flights in were booked because, uh, reservists going back to sign up. So there is a lot of, um, air travel back and forth. Um, and that in itself poses some risks because the more traffic going in, um, uh, the number of airlines are cutting off traffic to Tel Aviv. Uh, and we should, can't let it go without saying that there was a, a an explosion at Damascus uh, International Airport um, just, well, I guess a day ago when I was in Dubai, so maybe now two days ago. So the potential for escalation here is, is one that I think we all have to be uh, aware of. Uh, I was also reminded that my first trip to Israel uh, was in 1982, just after the uh, Israeli move into Lebanon. So I tend to go to the region just at the perfect time. Like, I'm, I'm really good at that. So actually, it's um, your fault. Uh, I, I, you know, I, the correlation is not causation, but, uh, okay. it, it, uh, but you know, we, there's plenty of blame to go around, we would say. Um, w- what I'm interested in, because um, my sense here, Kim, I'm sure you're right that, you know, all, in the background, all of these countries are trying to think through how they gain advantage here, particularly Iran, um, Syria uh, uh, wants to know how to play this. Israel is obviously playing for a long term advantage. Um, but I have been struck by the people that reached out to me personally as a Jewish American, and my father is a Holocaust survivor. How emotional and personal this is, and I don't get the sense that there is higher brain function going on in the Israeli body politic right now. This is a visceral reaction, which I think gets to your point about going off script. So I'm I'm just sort of curious, from your perspective, you know, is there strategic thinking going on in the region, or is all of this really just at moment-to-moment reaction. I I I can understand that from both the Israeli and also from the um, civilian Palestinians being extremely focused on just the immediate. But um, I don't get the sense there's any medium-term, let alone long-term planning going on at this point.
2: Well, it depends which part of the region you're you're referring to. Uh, I mean, obviously, yes, within Israel. Um, there's, you know, visceral reaction to, to what happened, certainly at the top levels, uh, Bibi and, um, and, and, his, and his cabinet. But you're also hearing a lot of voices out of Israel saying, you know, not only is this Benjamin Netanyahu's fault, that he let his guard down, that he let this happen. Um, you know, I'm sure you're having other conversations with people unpacking exactly you know, what it looks like within Israel. But you're also hearing voices saying, you know, the retaliation is, is we don't want this in our name. We don't want this cycle of violence to, to continue. Um, you know, I get a small sample of those voices, you know, on television, on, on the media, in newspapers. You know, I find that quite uh, quite sobering, that even people who've been very directly affected by what happened, uh, you know, relatives of the victims and so on, are saying, you know, not in our name. This retaliation against Gaza uh, is not the answer. Um, Palestinians in Gaza, of course, we must remember, are are bearing the brunt now of that retaliation. You know, almost 2,000 dead by by now. Um, and massive displacement and a humanitarian crisis in the making. And frankly, I'm not sure what the strategic goal is, if there is even one uh, on Israel's part to push, you know, one million people uh, deeper south into the Gaza Strip. Is there strategic thinking around the region? Again, which part of the region? Um, Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas are quite strategic. They take, the long view they plan slowly methodically they chip away at things they bide their time and sometimes they overplay their hand but they manage somehow to still in their view of course because you know victory looks different depending on what your worldview is in their view they feel that they can come out victorious sometimes um Others make mistakes and they take advantage of it. You know, for example, after uh, the U.S. invasion of Iraq, you know, first Iran was uh, taken aback and scared and wondering whether they might be next and whether Damascus was was going to be next. And then they, they managed to turn that to their advantage quite uh, quite well, because if you look at Iraq now, uh, you know, it is very much beholden to to Iranian politics and to Iranian-backed militias. So when I look at uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken traveling around the region, to um, to Israel first, but then to Qatar, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt, you could you could say that that's where a lot of the strategic thinking needs to happen about how we contain this, how we minimize minimize loss of life, and try to uh, then turn this around and see whether there's an opening for a political negotiation, political process, return to peace talks, etc. And then you have, as I said, the other part of the region, which is also plotting and planning, and the Russians in the background, you know, rubbing rubbing their hands um, at all this. Because in the past, every conflagration, every war has often, not always, has often led to a political opening that allows a return to talks, peace talks. You know, the October 73 war, the Yom Kippur war, eventually led to peace between Egypt and Israel. Um, This first intifada eventually led to the Madrid conference. But there are other examples of Israel going to war against a non-state entity, like now with Hamas, but in 1982 against Hezbollah, against, excuse me, the Palestinian Liberation Organization in Lebanon, again wanting to eliminate them at the northern border, as Bibi says he wants to do now with Hamas, thinking that they could come in um, and eliminate the PLO, push them out, and then uh, have a friendly government in Beirut, sign peace with them, uh, bring Syria to its knees by bombing Syrian troops positioned in, in Lebanon, and by doing so, bring Syria to the table. Instead, what we got is the complete opposite. It was a total strategic blunder. It was a tactical success because the PLO did leave, But that brought Iran into the equation. They sent revolutionary guards into Lebanon within two days of the Israeli invasion. That was the birth of Hezbollah. And the axis of resistance was really born then. Syria and Iran worked, made it their mission to upset America's plans in the region by either targeting America directly or or Israel. And we're living with these, with the consequences of this uh, all the way up until today, which is why I wrote a piece in the Financial Times saying heed the lessons of 1982. Simply going in to clean up doesn't work. Not only does it always come at a huge cost for civilians, but strategically, in the long term, it causes the complete opposite reaction
0: i I thought that was by the way breathtaking and uh 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 insight rich analysis of the situation and i think the analogy with nineteen eighty two is 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 a good one um, uh I, I there are two natural directions we can take this one is you know how does how does this escalate another is uh you know, what might be the, the possibilities uh, for benefit that derive from it? And you mentioned that sometimes that happens mm. in the past. Let's talk about the escalation issue. Um, the Gerald R. Ford carrier battle group is not in the Mediterranean to deal with Hamas. The Gerald R. Ford carrier battle group is in the Mediterranean to send a message to the Iranians. Um, and secondarily to the Russians and the Syrians. Your axis of resistance, um,
2: uh, not my e- axis. No, 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 no. <laughs> sorry.
1: I'm, we have important people on the show, David, but we can't give Kim that sort of control. Well, that's, that's too much. Yeah,
0: I wasn't. I wasn't saying she was in charge of it, but I. But I. I. You know, in terms of um, the the escalatory models that you might use, they all involve this axis of resistance, and. The most likely near-term trigger of that is that the Israelis go into Gaza, and there's a lot of carnage, and these countries see this as an opportunity, um, uh, uh, one way or another, and that might lead to much more activity from Hezbollah in the north, or 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 something else. Is is that what you fear as 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 the potential next worst shoe to drop in all of this, Kim, or is there something else that I'm missing?
2: Again, uh it's it's not it's not a cop out. Um I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what the what it's going to look like and where the next escalation is going to come from. There are a few options, unfortunately, here. One is uh, Israel carries out a ground uh, incursion, invasion into um, Gaza, at uh, great loss of um, further loss of civilian life. Hezbollah feels compelled to further show its support for Palestinians, and a few rockets aren't enough, so they lob a few more they kill a few Israeli soldiers, Israel retaliates, and this front lights up in a larger way than we've seen so far. That is an option. That's what happened in 2006, actually. Uh, Hamas and uh, Israel were at war. Hamas Well, it started, you know, it's, it's always tricky to say how it started, but a couple of the facts are that Hamas kidnapped an Israeli soldier um, you know, there was there were days of uh of back and fire, uh of, of back and forth um uh rockets on, on, on both sides, etc. But to assist Hamas, Hezbollah decided it was a good idea to kidnap a few of its own Israeli soldiers on the border between Lebanon and Israel. And that triggered a massive Israeli uh reaction and a thirty four day long war between the two and 1,200 dead civilians on um, the Lebanese side and several hundred on the Israeli side. And much later on, uh, once the Israelis had pretty much flattened the southern suburbs of Beirut, the Secretary General of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, said that if he had known that this was going to be the reaction uh, of the Israelis, he wouldn't have um, you know, carried out, you know, his people wouldn't have carried out the kidnap operation. So they also miscalculate Hezbollah also miscalculates. And then uh, they, as I said at the beginning, find a way to describe it as as victory. Because, of course, Israel's aim at the time was to eliminate Hezbollah as well. But that didn't work. Hezbollah is still very much here and much stronger. Right now, I still think that Hezbollah and Iran especially, because Hamas is not a tool of Iran, they align, they get funding, they get weapons, but they're not a tool of Iran, or they haven't been. They're getting much closer now. I think this qualitative, forgive the word, but just from a purely tactical perspective, what they managed to carry out, this this sort of qualitative jump in their abilities is quite stunning, I find. and and. I think it must have come with quite a lot of training and support from Hezbollah and Iran, but the evidence apparently is is not there yet. So let's use the word they've been complicit, as Anthony Blinken said. Today, um, Hezbollah uh, in 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 Lebanon is much more of an Iranian uh, proxy ally, uh, paramilitary force with a regional. A, a presence from Yemen to Iraq to Syria to to Lebanon, and there are two things to keep in mind here. One, Iran might be willing to sacrifice Hamas so that it can say it is coming to the aid of the Palestinian cause. I don't think they want to sacrifice Hezbollah. It's way too important for them. Lebanon is kind of their forward base, and I don't want to. Um, give further fodder to those who say that Lebanon is just, you know, a a Hezbollah state. It's much more complex than that. But Hezbollah is present. It has uh, a lot to say. It keeps this country hostage to its politics. Um, And so I think that Iran finds Hezbollah and Hezbollah's position in Lebanon simply too useful to sacrifice. And Hezbollah knows that it cannot afford a repeat of 2006 because this country is exhausted In 2006, when Nasrallah launched a war against Israel and came out victorious because he didn't lose, uh, there was a lot of support around the Arab world for Hassan Nasrallah. And for the Iranian president at the time, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, you're not going to find any of that support today, including in Lebanon. We've just been through the worst three years of our lives since the civil war, from economic crisis to massive explosion at the port of Beirut, the economy's exhausted. We are exhausted, as well as base is exhausted. I don't think they can carry that burden. But you know, looking at what Hamas did, I had somebody tell me, you know, it looks like a kamikaze operation, a one a last stand. Let's give it our all. Let's just throw everything we have at Israel and see where we where we end up. And if that's the calculation. Maybe that's also something that Hezbollah's thinking that it's worth going going all in, but I I don't see it at the moment. The other uh, um, uh, 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 part of the region that could explode, uh, and I'll and I'll wrap up here is of course the West Bank. Already you're seeing you're seeing violence erupt there. You know, are we going to have a third Intifada on the Palestinian uh, on the Palestinian in the Palestinian territories?
0: Well, John, that was as bleak uh, an analysis as you could get. I, I, well,
2: I you you wanted to go down the escalation front. No, no, I know I, and, but I, it, but I know this from. is
0: what makes John's
1: make him happy. You know, this is the kind of thing that he lives. I'm actually no, I'm actually upset, Dave, because I work in nuclear doom and gloom, and and this is this is making me more depressed than usual. So,
2: mm. well, but 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 John, let me point out something here: the nuclear uh, aspect of this of this equation. You know, people in Washington uh, generally, sorry, I don't mean I don't mean you, but in general, uh, when it comes to Iran in the Obama administration and in the Biden administration, and by the way, I think the Biden administration's handled them at least file reasonably well so far, but now comes the big test. They've been very focused on Iran's nuclear program. And they seem to always forget about or well, not forget, but they seem you know less concerned about Iran's other activities in in the region and i think that's a mistake repeatedly certainly during the obama administration less so during this administration but look where you know look what blew up not not the nuclear uh, file but you know iran's other ability to operate like a spoiler uh, through its proxy militias or proxy allies etc
0: um interesting no no, go ahead uh john um well let me say at this point typically in our podcast we take a little bit of a break and we say to everybody who's in the listening public who's not a member that uh this is where you get off this ride and uh, uh i know that what's about to come is really interesting uh in the members only section and so I would encourage you to become a member go to the dsrnetwork.com click on membership and once you're all members I'll stop taking these breaks and and harassing you about becoming members so you know I encourage you everybody
2: listen to David and do what he says
0: thank you Kim um and and as I said before black wave in in any event um uh uh, for those of you who are not members, go become a member and then you can listen to the rest. For those of you who are members, stand by.